Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday service. Hallelujah. This morning's uh, message is once again entitled Walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. And the subtitle is Living Life in the Spirit. Just a quick recap uh, of what we covered last week, uh, and then I'm going to move on from there. And uh, in fact, uh, last week was a strong word. Um, I knew it when I put it all together and I looked at the outline and I thought, gosh, this is going to be a strong word. And sure enough, by the time we finished, we all knew it was a strong word. But you know, I reminded myself, uh, because you see, here's what happens. Sermonettes produce Christianettes. Weak messages produce weak Christians, but strong messages produce strong Christians. So there you go. Be encouraged in that. Hallelujah. So uh, we talked about, just in the opening statement last week, I talked about uh, Smith Wigglesworth coming from the UK uh, to Wellington, New Zealand uh, in 1922, just over 100 years ago. And he ministered in the city there a series of messages over several weeks A full-blown revival uh, was happening, Uh, but one message that I picked up on one message title, uh, which he called, Step Out of Your Soul and Step Into Your Spirit, Um, and I was particularly captivated by that. We felt it fitted into what uh, God is speaking to us about, and I wanted to use that as a launching point to launch out into a uh, message. Now, last Sunday, we covered three main points. Number one, we talked about life in the Spirit. What what does that look like? said, number two, that God's word discerns between our soul and our spirit. Um, Our soul and our spirit is connected together, but God's word divides between the two and works out what is of the spirit and what is of the soul. And lastly, we talked about some examples from the Abraham family um, that were not particularly inspiring examples. There's a lot of bad stuff going on uh, in Abraham's family, yet the blessing of God was on his life and God used him powerfully by his spirit. Now, I'm conscious that this is, once again, I'm speaking to believers this morning, um, that this is, uh, uh, this is the, the word of the Lord to uh, this house. And, uh, and in fact, uh, um, I was just conscious that uh, as, as a pastor, I've, I've sort of worked out early on by the, by the by revelation. That it's not something that I figured out. It's just by revelation. I figured out that if, 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 if I teach the word, I don't need to do very much counseling. A lot, a lot of pastors are bogged down with constant counseling. All right, counseling people. And there's a place for it. But I virtually do no counseling. When I say virtually, very little. Because um, a lot of things, uh, you know, I do my counseling sessions on Sunday in the morning about this time. I'm about to, to start counseling people. All right. So that's when I do my counseling. So if people want to see me during the week and they don't want to turn up on Sunday, well, that's not a good arrangement because a lot of counseling that pastors are doing is just giving people private little sermons. All right. So if you are attuned to the Spirit, then let's trust God this morning. God will speak to us and uh, help us to get to the next level, whatever that looks like. So once again, some of you look more excited than, than others. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. 
This is where we were last week. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no judging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus, who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the Spirit. And then in Galatians 5.16, it says, uh, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then finally, in Galatians 5.25, it says, if we live in the Spirit, uh, it says, we will also walk in the Spirit. So we've said that uh, once we become born again, once we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ and we are born again, converted, uh, uh, it's all the same thing. From that moment forward, God commands us to walk according to the Spirit instead of walking according to the flesh. And uh, you know, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, each local church, but the church of Jesus Christ worldwide are God's people who no longer live according to the dictates and the demands of the flesh, but we live according to the leading and the dictates of the Spirit. You know, the Word of God, the written Word of God has become uh, our rule of conduct and the leading on the guidance of the Holy Spirit leads us in the way of peace. So with that, the first point of today's message is uh, uh, speaking about Apostle John, that he was in the Spirit on the Lord. Day. I want to start reading from Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. And uh, it says here in verse 9, it says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island of Patmos uh, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, in Ephesus, in Smyrna, Pergamos, in Tyatira, in Sardius, uh, in Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice uh, that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, like the sun, uh, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Now, I guess my, the hardest job for me will be today to stay on track <laughs> so I don't get too sidetracked into other things. Uh, by the way, this is supposed to be a practical message. It's not in any way meant to be abstract and kind of leaving people wondering. Like This is hopefully a, a concrete and practical message that we can apply in our lives, immediately go away and make it part of our lifestyle. Uh, uh, John here uh, Uh, the apostle, um, he was banished, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos is a rocky island, uh, a small island, uh, um, part of the Greek jurisdiction today, uh, but actually closer to Turkey, Turkey mainland. Uh, they tell us that the island is only about uh, five kilometers across and about 50 kilometers long. Uh, a lot of these islands were not inhabited back then. And, uh, you know, when the Romans wanted to get rid of somebody and they didn't want to kill them, they just stuck him on one of them islands. And that was that. Um, all right. And so John, they tried to get rid of him. You know, they had John uh, in, in Rome and they put him in one of them Colosseums for the entertainment of the people. Uh, and 
And this is history. This is not what the Bible's telling us. This is history telling us that they got so annoyed with him preaching uh, Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he was just another Christian that they tried to kill off and martyr. So they shoved him into a, uh, a big basin that was filled with boiling oil and shoved him in there. And of course, uh, that's outright torture and people then die uh, soon after that because, you know, once people have got burn marks all over the body, uh, you know, they cannot survive. Well, the amazing thing is that history tells us that John came out and there was not a mark on his body. And again, I can't verify this, but they say that everybody in the stadium got saved and surrendered their life to Jesus Christ as a result of that. Uh, so anyway, so they decided, what are we going to do with this guy? All right, let's stick him on one of them islands out there. So that's what they did. And uh, he tells us that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He, was, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now that term in the spirit has always intrigued me. It's always challenged me. It's almost motivated me that there is a place that you and I need to know about and understand. And it's called in the spirit. Now, when we are talking about walking in the Spirit uh, and reading some of those scriptures, you know, some of those scriptures are, are written with capital S to indicate uh, that that might be the Holy Spirit. It automatically isn't, but it might be the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes these words are written with a, with a, a lowercase s, uh, meaning that it could be reference to our born-again spirit. Um, and then when he says, in the Spirit, it's still got a small s, and, and that's now reference to a place that I want to describe to you today. Um, and uh, so he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, the Lord's day is Sunday, in case anybody's wondering. Today is the Lord's day, and God's people come together to worship the Lord. We come to honor God with our tithes and with our offering. We come, we receive from the teaching and the preaching of the word. It is the Lord's day. And John was out there by himself, having church by himself. All right. So he says, well, I'm by myself, but it is the Lord's day. I'm having church. All right. And so while he's away, worshiping there next minute he's in the spirit okay and and, and uh, in fact I ministered along these lines a couple of years ago uh, God sort of gave me a fresh revelation out of that passage there and impressed upon my heart that in these last days it is more important than ever for every believer to be in the spirit all right, because what we've seen in the last three years with everything that's gone down uh, and, uh, you know, people have been deceived and people have been coerced and pushed and shoved and, uh, and f all the fear mongering that's gone on and with all the mandates and with all the medical procedures that none of it was of God and was all based on lies. A lot of Christians didn't know. Uh, that it wasn't of God and they sort of went along with it. And you see, uh, you see, I've had a monumental shift in my life, in my belief system uh, in the last few years. And I might speak about that at some point. You know, there's people that I used to respect three years ago. I don't respect them anymore today. I'm no longer as excited about what they're saying because they got it so majorly wrong. All right. Uh, and as I say, people that I systems and that I used to trust, I trust no more because we have, we have seen the deception and the rot uh, underneath it all. Uh, and uh, you see, if we're in the spirit, we no longer get impressed by what's on the surface, but we discern what's underneath. You see, that's the deal. We need to know what's going on. Leaders in the body of Christ, there's no option for them to not know what's going on. We need to know what's going on. 
All right. Uh, and I told you I was going to um, trying hard to not get sidetracked here. But, uh, but here is what's impressed me. Uh, John is in the spirit. And the Bible says he heard. And then he turned to see. And after he turned, he saw. And uh, of course, it was Jesus Christ that was standing behind him who began to speak to him. And John is in the spirit, and he heard a voice. He knew it was behind him. So he heard the voice. He turned to see. He says he turned to see the voice of who was speaking to him, but actually he was really turning to see. Whose voice is that? And when he turned, he saw Jesus Christ. And, uh, And while he's in the spirit, he is... Hearing the voice of Jesus, he receives the, uh, Jesus dictating the seven letters to the seven churches that we've just read about. Uh, there were seven geographical areas and seven churches uh, that were there. Furthermore, he received the whole revelation that is also recorded in what we call the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. All right, so he's had a major download. Um, he ended up going to heaven. Again, he, was, he says, uh, immediately I was in the spirit and he's in heaven. So God's taken him to heaven to show him around and so forth. The whole thing is written uh, in the book of Revelation. Um, and um, it struck me as though in order for us to hear the voice of God, to hear the voice of Jesus Christ, to hear the voice, hear the voice of the Spirit, we also need to be in the Spirit. All right, Just being in the natural is not going to be sufficient. We need to raise ourselves up to press into the realm of the Spirit. In order for us to know, to receive revelation, and also for us to see, we need to be in the Spirit. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a... Uh, a series of teaching on the book of Revelation, and it's still available online on our YouTube channel there. Uh, and I think I might have made reference back then already that even for us to interpret and to understand what John received in the Spirit, we also have to be in the Spirit. Otherwise, we're not going to get it. There is a place in the Spirit that is there for every believer, and yet not every believer knows how to go there. Now, I want to make a, a statement, uh, then ask a question, and then hopefully give the right answer, all right, in one sequence after the other. The statement is this, to receive revelation from God, meaning to hear and to see, I must be in the Spirit. And then the question is, when, when I'm not in the Spirit, where am I? Where am I? And the answer to that is, I'm in the natural realm, or worse, I could be in the flesh, now, I'm going to describe what that looks like shortly. Um, but I think it would be fair to say that if John had not been in the Spirit, he would have not seen and heard, and we would not have the book of Revelation today. All right? That's a bit of a scary thought, isn't it? People say, oh, God, we'll just find somebody else, you know? The reality is... Uh, it is not quite as easy for God to just always find somebody else. When God gives us a job, we need to be available. You know, there's numerous ministers that have told us that ended up with a phenomenal ministry. And when they ministered at various times, they said, look, I wasn't the first choice. God actually tried to get somebody else to give that ministry to, but they said no. 
and then somebody else, and they say, no, I'm not even the second choice, uh, which is incredible. You know, I mean, it's hard to sort of verify it and hard to prove it. But I remember Lester Sumbro when he went into Manila in the Philippines as a young minister of the gospel and uh, as a young missionary, if you like, uh, and he'd heard about a, a, a little girl up in the, in, in the uh, city's prison that was being bitten by demons every night and with all the screaming and all the howling and they tried to help the girl, they couldn't help her. And one day God says to, to, to Lester, I want you to go up there and to deliver that girl, cast the devil out. And, and he says, Lord, I'm not going. He says, you need to send somebody else. And here's a very sad statement. God said to him, I haven't got anybody else. So, so God's got a lot of people, but not everybody's always available. Not everybody always has the necessary you know, grace to do what God has called us to do. So let's be available. Let's do what God's called us to do anyway. Uh, so let me press on from there. Uh, in, uh, in John chapter 12, verse 27, uh, Jesus is praying and the Father is answering back to him, uh, um, as it were, with a literal voice. And here it is. Jesus says in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered, and others said an angel has spoken to him. Can I suggest to you that Jesus was in the Spirit, and when, he, when the, the Father, God the Father spoke to him, Jesus heard the voice, and he understood what was being said. The others who were standing by said, oh, it just thundered, to kind of put a logic explanation to a spiritual deal that was going on. The voice of God is heard, but they said, oh, it thundered. They sort of tried to explain it away. All right, so there is a deal here, friends, in order for us to hear the voice of God, we need to be in the Spirit. That's where the, that's where the, that's where the, the revelation flows, and uh, that's where the, the, the good stuff is happening. See, I've, I also find that each time when I begin to prepare another message for the next meeting that I'm responsible for, in order for me to get a download from heaven, I got to be in the Spirit. We don't just open the book and say, oh, what shall we do today? Oh, let's do a bit of this or a bit of that. It's got to be a now word, all right? And to receive a now word, we need to be in the Spirit. So where is this place called in the Spirit? Where is this place? Well, in very simple terms, um, there are two coexisting realms or worlds, namely the realm of the Spirit, or we might call the Spirit world, and then there's the natural realm, which is the, the natural world that we're all familiar with. Now, God lives in the realm of the spirit. All right, that's where God lives, uh, as do angels, as do demons. Um, God is spirit. Angels and demons are spiritual beings. They live in the realm of the spirit. Now, we are, now let me just explain this fully. We are natural beings. We live in the natural realm, but we're also a spirit. 
primarily, and we discussed that last week, that we are a spirit, we have a soul, we live inside of a body. This body is made for us to be in this natural world. Once this body is unsuitable, becomes unsuitable for various reasons, we need to leave this earth because we are primarily a spirit and we cannot be floating around as uh, human spirits. We've got to have a physical body. All right? Now, I know that people say, oh, you know, my, my grandfather passed away years ago and he came to visit me. No, 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 no. No. Uh, once people leave this earth, it's either heaven or hell. There is no third place. And, uh, and there's a whole deal going on. And it's not about a teaching about the occult and so forth. But when people then visit mediums and try to get messages from their dead ancestors, they're not hearing from their dead ancestors. They're hearing from familiar spirits, which are demon spirits. All right, so that's why in the Old Testament specific, God says, have nothing to do with that. Have nothing to do with mediums and with familiar spirits and everything else. In fact, if anything, mediums were, to, were condemned to death, that God wasn't going to have his, uh, his, uh, his nation messed up with demonic stuff. Uh, he wanted to be their God, and uh, he didn't want to share his uh, glory with any demon spirit, so to speak. So when John... The apostle was in the spirit. It means that he became more aware of the realm of the spirit than he did of the natural realm. And some of you that get into the spirit during times of praise and worship, you know exactly what we are talking about. Like, you know, you could be physically standing here, uh, probably with your eyes closed, because that is one way to tune out the natural world and to press on into the Spirit. And next minute, you're so aware of the presence of God. You're so, so aware of the whole spiritual dynamic and so forth. And what John was there in the, on the Lord's day, see, physically, he was on the island of Patmos, but spiritually, he was connected into the spiritual realm. You and I, as born-again believers... And John was obviously born again and filled with the Spirit. We access the realm of God with our spirit through the help of the Holy Spirit. All right. So it's our spirit that connects into the spirit world. My body can't connect into the spirit world. It's not made for that. My soul can't connect into it. It's not made for that. So... It is our spirit, our born-again spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we're able to connect into the spirit world. Now, I briefly touched on it before, that, you know, people in the occult, they connect into the spirit world with the help of demon spirits. All right? But we do so with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why a strong relationship with and being under a strong influence of the Holy Spirit will then help us to, it opens up the realm of the Spirit for us as believers. It is not a strange place. Um, it is not a foreign place that we might visit once every you know, couple of years. We can get there. And in fact, once you learn how to get there and stay there, you learn how to function in both worlds. You function in the natural world and you function in the realm of the spirit and you're just attuned uh, to both. Our soul is like a hinge between the natural realm and the realm of the spirit. 
All right? So we have a body. We live inside a body. We have a soul. Uh, the soul, we, we, we say it's the our mind, the will, and the emotions. Um, and then we are a spirit. The soul is the hinge between those two realms. And through an act of our will, our soul can direct us away from the natural realm towards the realm of the spirit. But that's all the soul can do. It then needs the spirit, the human spirit connecting into the spirit world once that sort of that shift uh, has been made, uh, as it were. So ultimately, it's only our born-again spirit that can connect to the realm of the spirit. So therefore, and I'm reading from the outline, to get into the spirit... We must give our born-again spirit the upper hand and not let our soul dominate us. What's the soul? Well, it's, it's, it's the mind. It's where the logic sits. If we get too logical about these things, <laughs> it will make it very difficult for us to press on into the realm of the spirit. But sometimes, you know, I was just speaking with minister friends on on Friday, and one mentioned a comment about, you know, getting people baptized with the Holy Spirit. If people are too much in their head, in their logic, it can get in the way in people getting baptized with the Holy Spirit and receiving the gift of speaking in tongues, because tongues does not make sense to the natural mind. It is a spiritual dynamic, and it needs to be received in our spirit. All right? All um, right. So let me read here from John chapter 4, verse 23. Uh, Jesus speaking, he says, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. All right. And the context here, where Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and uh, she said, you know, she was, she was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were a, a mixed race of people. They had Jewish blood in them, but they also had Gentile blood in them, uh, and so forth. And she says to Jesus, he says, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing, she says, you Jews, he says, you say that you've you got to worship in Jerusalem, but we say we've got to worship at this mountain. And Jesus says, look, uh, the hour is coming, and now is, when you will neither worship at this mountain, physical mountain, or in Jerusalem, physical city. He says, he says, you will worship God in spirit, no matter where you are. You're connecting into the spirit, and you're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And truth here is not Old Testament truth per se, it is New Testament truth, where at a moment's notice we can swing into the realm of the Spirit and begin to worship God, and that's what Jesus was talking to this woman about. Sometimes people are very attached to religious paraphernalia. You know, some people can't worship unless a candle is burning. And some, some people can't worship God unless they hold one of them songbooks in their hands. You know, I come out of that setting. <laughs> I know what religion looks like. Okay? 
So, and some people, they need all sorts of uh, um, physical things to give them a sense of, oh, it's time to worship God. And it's sort of a soul-soothing sort of a thing. But that's all it'll do. It'll soothe the soul, but it'll bar them from connecting into the spirit because when we go into the spirit, we need no specific place or space. We need no specific mountain, no specific city. We just close our eyes and we lift up our hands and begin to worship God. And sometimes people have got all sorts of things on the go in regards to what they must do in order to feel that they've really touched God. But, you know, in terms of music, anointed music always helps. But, you know, the best music, and we've just heard it a couple of weeks ago, the, the best instrument is your voice coming out uh, of your mouth. In terms of you really need to wave something about, wave your hands, lifting up holy hands, the Bible says, without wrath and without doubting. Wean yourself off of the need for physical things that you need to touch in order to feel good about it at that moment. Worship is not about making us feel good. It's about touching the heart of God and making God feel special. All right? Praise God. So how do I move from the natural realm into the realm of the spirit? Um, Well, it says here in Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. This is one of multiple scriptures uh, uh, that uh, give us insight in regards to how we move from the natural realm into the realm of the spirit. The first word that I want to highlight here is uh, thanksgiving. All right, thanksgiving moves us from the natural realm into the realm of the spirit. Sometimes we call it praise and worship, you see. Thanksgiving, uh, come into his courts with praise. Uh, Praising God, be thankful. It's when we become thankful, when we remind ourselves of everything that Jesus has done for us, we become so thankful because we realize the, the gravity of what it means for us to be saved and what Jesus had to go through to take the punishment of our sins upon himself and to be hung on the cross and to die a cruel and a, a dreadful death. We become very, very thankful, and it says, Bless his name. So, four quick points that we've written down here is at five, uh, uh, praying and singing in tongues and worshiping the Lord moves us from the natural realm uh, into the realm of the spirit. Praying in tongues. I pray in tongues a lot because I don't want to slip out of the spirit. I want to stay there all the time and speaking in tongues or, you know, it, it, at certain days all day, as much as practical, uh, helps me to stay connected into that world. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to live. In fact, I'm so determined that that's where I want to be because everything we have seen rolled out in the last three years and a lot of questions uh, got, got uh, sort of bowled over by it all um, and, and, uh, and, and evidently have not been in the spirit sufficiently to know what's going on well, there's more coming, and uh, uh, there's more coming. So I need to be in the spirit so that I know what's going on and not fall for some of the lies and some of the deceptions that have been rolled out. So praying and singing in tongues. You know, we start out worshiping the Lord with our natural language, and then you switch into our spiritual 
language. What is the spiritual language? Well, it's called tongues. When we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, we receive the, the, the gift of, of the Holy Spirit with the, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We did that this morning during praise and worship. We start out in the natural, enter his gates. And uh, you know that that was physical gates when they were out in the wilderness. And then later on in Jerusalem, they had a temple. There was a physical gate that they moved through in terms of activating their body to move into this place. But there's also a, 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 a court and a gate in the realm of the spirit. You see, the natural is a copy of the spirit, of the spiritual realm. So we... Start with our natural language, which in our situation most likely will be English. Uh, for the Chinese, it's Chinese. And for the Japanese, it's Japanese. And then we switch from our natural language into the language of the spirit. And that thrusts us through into the next level uh, so that we can reach uh, the realm of the spirit, as it were, and be able to temporarily disconnect from the natural issues and, and so forth of, of, of this world and, and worship God and, and hopefully have a download and have a revelation and have an understanding. It's even our focus on spiritual truth um, and on spiritual things. It helps me. Uh, that's why reading the Word of God describes what the realm of the Spirit looks like. So when I close my eyes, I'm not lost. Because the realm of the spirit is described in the word of God. So when we are singing songs that we are, we're worshiping Jesus on the throne, I'm picturing Jesus sitting on a throne. Um, and whatever the words of the song are, if that's an anointed song, it will help me to uh, kind of move into that realm. The next point there is just one other point. This is not an exhaustive list, but, you know, cast your care upon the Lord. While people are worried, uh, they can't move into the spirit because the worry is a natural thing out of the soul. It holds them back. You need to, as it were, disconnect from the soul and from the soulish thing and from the natural uh, world and to move on into the realm of the spirit. And because, as we said before, uh, anointed music, uh, anointed music. When one of the prophets uh, needed to prophesy, uh, when the kings called him and they said, uh, Prophet, we're in trouble. We want to inquire of the Lord. What is the answer for our situation? The prophet said, bring me a minstrel. Bring me an anointed musician. Because it helped him to tune into the spirit and to receive a revelation in regards to what the answer was for these kings. Uh, there's a whole story behind that that's well worth looking at. So anointed uh, music, anointed worship. Um, and... Uh, here in 1 Corinthians, just before we move on from there, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4, Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, what, what is that tongue? That's our spiritual language that we receive, that after we are born again and after we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, he says, when I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. It's not my soul. When I speak in English, my soul prays. But when I pray in the Spirit, my spirit prays. What spirit is that? That is my born-again spirit. That one's praying now. So I'm now activating my spirit because it needs to be my spirit that connects into the spirit world. I can't do it with my soul, and I most certainly cannot do it with my body. That's why Smith Wigglesworth said, get out of your soul. Get into your spirit. And there's a lot of soulish stuff going on 
uh, in people's lives, a lot of soulish things going on in churches and in the body of Christ. And it's time to strip all of that back and let only that which is truly spiritual remain. So let me talk about uh, discernment in the realm of the spirit. I think this is, I guess, what became revelation to me a, uh, you know, a couple of three years ago. It's like that discernment uh, that we are walking in when we know uh, how to get into the spirit. Uh, and no matter how many lies we're being told by entities, organizations, and individuals, we don't believe it because we're in the spirit and we know it's a lie. We know it is. How do we know? We, <laughs> the Bible speaks about that we have an unction from the Holy One. You know, the old-time Pentecostals used to say, I have a knower in my spirit. How do I know? I know it in my knower. We know in our spirit. We don't always know it in our mind, but we know it in our spirit, and then the mind has to catch up. Certain things that we knew early on, as if something's not right, we couldn't articulate it, we couldn't explain it. I came today. Um, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, you know, would you do that? Well, how many hours would you have? Like, it's like, you know, it's like there's just so much going on uh, and so many sources now uh, that God connected us into to get the truth really coming out. It's just unbelievable. Um, but anyway, that's not the purpose of our discussion here today. Discernment in the realm of the spirit. One key aspect and benefit of being in the spirit is that there is a spiritual discernment. And of course, as believers, it is of utmost importance for us to know what's right and what's wrong. Obviously, you know, the difference between good and evil. What's the truth and what's the lie? What's of God and what's not of God? All right. And of course, the Word of God helps us and the Spirit of God helps us to two together when we're in the right place, in the right space, and hopefully under the right leadership in the body of Christ, where the leaders know what's going on, they can help to instruct us so deception doesn't set in and the devil doesn't get the better of us. So, uh, sadly, a Christian's discernment doesn't work when they're in the flesh. It just doesn't work in the flesh because it works when we're in the spirit. When they're, when they're in the flesh, when they're scrapping with everybody and having fallouts with everybody and criticizing everybody and gossiping and so forth, their discernment doesn't work. They think it does, but all, the, all you get from people at that level is a lot of opinions. All right? But we don't need opinions. We need truth. All right, and then what happens is that when people are just in the natural realm, there is a limited discernment that's operational at that level, but it's limited in order for, for discernment to be fully functioning, we need to be in the spirit. And this is, I keep on repeating it, it's like become revelation to me uh, a couple of three years ago. I ministered along these lines at the latter end of 2021. By, at that stage, we had come through the thick of all the nonsense that was imposed upon us, all the fear-mongering that, uh, that they did, and all the, all the, the medical procedures that they demanded. Uh, and for all that, for all that, uh, for all that, we said, no, nah, no, nah, we, we're in the spirit, which is not having this. All right? We are born to be free. 
We're not born to be in bondage. We don't want to be in bondage to nobody. All right, because we are born free. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. In all discernment. I'm repeating what I spoke about a couple of years ago, but I say besides Jesus Christ is a person and our salvation in the Lord, spiritual discernment is probably going to be one of our most important assets going forward. Because the sophistication of the deception that's been rolled out around us, and there's more coming, and there's a lot out there. You know, there's a lot out there. You know, we could talk about the whole woke nonsense, the cancel culture, the Black Lives Matter, there's all, and, and all the, the, the gender thing. There's just stuff out there. And what they're planning to do in terms of further bondage is coming and a lockdown on, the, on not just a few individuals, but on the whole world's population is unbelievable. We need spiritual discernment. We need to know that we don't go along with some of that nonsense, uh, well, no nonsense at, at all, as it were. He says that you may abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. I believe if we're in the spirit, God connects us with the right sources in the natural world to get the information that we need so we can make an informed decision. So it's not all just here. We live in both realms, but the revelation comes from the realm of the Spirit. I've turned off sources of news that I used to sort of be connected to three years ago, completely turned it off, completely, because my job does not require me to read newspapers and watch TV news or radio. I, I don't do any at all. That's why I can't be scared, because that's where the fear mongering comes. It is through that television and through that thing. It's like pushing pe people into fear. You know, there's another, there's another variant coming. Oh, there's an another virus coming. I don't care. <laughs> our God is our healer. A lot of that stuff is all just made up anyway. Uh, all right. That you may approve the things that are excellent, Paul says. Says you, should, you need to abound in, in love and in discernment that you may approve what is excellent. So we, we hear things, we see things, we assess things, we put our discernment over it, and then we only approve what's excellent and we reject the rest. You know, the, there is an example here. It's a bit of a jump from where we are to where, what, what, what I want to read to you in the book of Acts chapter 16. But we're talking about spiritual discernment. I want to quickly read that passage in Acts chapter 16, where Paul and his Silas and his companions were out there. They went to a prayer meeting, and they were obviously there to, you know, preach the gospel. And we pick the story up in verse 16. It says, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. 
But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. He, the demon, came out that very hour. So get the setting. Here is Paul and his companions. They're in this place. They're, if you like, evangelizing. They're preaching the gospel. They went to prayer. And they went, you know, from A to B. And there was this uh, slave girl that was there that was owned by her master. The girl had a, a, uh, a demon spirit in her, for what we will call a familiar spirit. And she prophesied. She told people's future, you know, fortune telling and so forth. And she did that for money so that she then delivered that money to her master and, and she was working for her master. All right. And as Paul and, and Silas and these other guys went past, the girl said, oh, these men are the servants of the most high God. And they've come here to tell us the way of salvation. But Paul knew in his spirit, something's not right about this. What she's saying is factually correct. It is spiritually accurate, but something is not right about this. And this went on for many days. And Paul walks past, he hears what she says. He's annoyed in his spirit, but he has not been able to put the pieces together. And then by the time that he had clarified his own sensation in his own spirit... He cast a spirit of divination out of the girl. So I kind of, you know, as a, <laughs> as a minister, I can relate to this. Sometimes I look at things in a kind of a context of a local church. I don't mean church across the board. I don't just mean church services. I mean across the board. I look at things and I'm, you know, something's not right about this. Something, something is not right. People tell me it's right, but I know it's not right. Something is not right about this. Like Paul knew, she spoke the truth, but she didn't speak the truth in order to glorify Jesus and to draw people towards Jesus. She wanted to be paid, you see. And then once the devil gets into people's lives through fortune telling, and there might even aspects coming out, they're like, man, that was really accurate. Well, this is amazing, but you see, the devil every now and then manages to bring out a, a morsel of truth, uh, and, but thereafter it's all lies, and then it's all bondage. And once people start playing with that, uh, it, it, they go further and further into bondage, and then they need the power of God to get them out of that bondage. So this she did for many days, and Paul is annoyed in his spirit. He's not annoyed in his head, he's annoyed in his spirit. And he's in the spirit, but he hasn't quite connected the dots. It's when you've got something staring at you in the natural that seems right, but in the spirit you know it's not right. It sometimes takes a little bit to sift that out and say, all right, now I know what this is. And as I say, certain things I've watched longer than I should have watched it. And at a certain stage, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to get this thing sorted out. It's not of God. You see, there should be no room or allowance or tolerance for ongoing demonic manifestation in a gospel environment. All right? 
more particularly not inside our house, you know, like when people are doing street preaching and there's stuff going on out there, you know, there's a certain amount that you just, you know, it comes with the territory. But when we are in our own ter- on our own turf, in our own environment, we don't let flesh manifest and we will certainly do not let demons manifest ongoing. Now, I might mention, was it last week, uh, I've uh, just been to a few meetings in the last while and wonderful meetings, great meetings, but I'm just struck by this thing. There's a lot of weird Christians around. <laughs> weird. Just weird. Weird. Why are there so many weird Christians? Where are their pastors? Pastor, why don't you disciple people? Say, this is weird. We don't do this. We are normal people. What you're doing there, this is not in the spirit. This is a fleshly, soulish thing. Let's not do that. We are in the spirit. And train people on how to get into the spirit rather than a lot of the pretense that goes on. It has spiritual overtones to it when you look at it from a distance, but something's still not right about it. It's born out of the flesh. It's not born out of the spirit. So... (laughs) So it's a pastor's responsibility to disciple their people say, this is not right. Let's be normal. I also remember my father had a very good philosophy to this whole thing. He says, son, he says, keep your feet on the ground. (laughs) Keep your feet on the ground, meaning don't start floating around and sort of, you know, people getting into all sorts of weird things. Just be normal. Just be normal with your Christianity. But be spiritual with your true expression. A lot of the paraphernalia. And I don't care if they're paraphernalia, if they're flags or if they're chauffeurs or they're, they're other things that people get into. In the end, uh, after we've done a bit of that, let's just now move into the realm of the spirit and, and shut that other thing down because it hinders other people from moving where they should really be going because of all of that nonsense that goes on around us. Kenneth Hagen, I'll close with this. Kenneth Hagen ministered in the latter stages of his ministry life and of his physical life. He ministered a series of messages that were turned into a book called Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. We read that back in the 90s, uh, and I recently re-listened to one of his messages around those things, and uh, I was reminded that uh, he began to address some of those fleshly things that were going on that he could see. He's a prophet, all right, he could see it, he began to address it, and he wasn't very popular over it, the people get very stroppy, like, what, you telling me how to worship God, you know, like, but, but we're just encouraging people, say, look, migrate away from the fleshly stuff and from the soulish thing and truly get into the spirit, and because he addressed the, the whole clapping thing, uh, and, uh, and of course people didn't like it, and people did misunderstand, they didn't, they weren't listening properly what the man was saying, when he started talking talking about it, they got offended in their own heart, uh, and then they didn't hear the rest of the message. He, he wasn't saying, we're not allowed to clap, but he did say, he says, clap. Clapping is neither praise nor worship. And in that setting, there was that much clapping going on, and somebody gave a prophecy before they even finished. People were already clapping, and then you couldn't hear the rest of the prophecy. All right, so silliness like that. Uh, and he began to address that. He, he began to address the whole thing of dancing in church. And he said that, my goodness, he says, and then he talked about the charismatics. Uh, uh, 
And this is uh, the setting in the U.S., all right? What's said over there is not automatically applicable over here, but certain things are, you know, are universal. He says the charismatics, when they dance, he says they're not dancing in the spirit. It's dancing in the flesh. And uh, he, tell, he told us, he says, he says when, you know, there was praise and worship going on and some of these people got up and they started to do line dancing. You know line dancing? And that's what he tried to address. And of course, people didn't like him speaking into it and, uh, and so forth. But you know, line dancing. It's dancing in the natural. It is dancing in the flesh. It's dancing in the natural. No matter how much you dress up line dancing, you can't spiritualize it and turn it into a spiritual worship. You just can't do it. You know, they talk about a racehorse and they talk about a donkey. If the racehorse is the real deal and you haven't got one or you find it hard to get one and you take a donkey, you dress the thing up, you write a big poster on its side saying horse or racehorse, it's still a donkey. (laughs) No matter what you do. (laughs) Line dancing. (laughs) Another natural dance that are just not a spiritual dance because dancing before the Lord is not for our enjoyment it is for glorifying the Lord close with this thought Uh, Kenneth Hagin in that context he was talking about in the Old Testament uh, the king of king of Egypt one of the kings came up to Jerusalem captured the city occupied the city went into the temple and into the king's house and into various places they had, stole all the gold and took it all away. Now, the temple was filled with gold, gold items, gold furniture, gold utensils and everything. It had to be gold. God says it had to be pure gold, otherwise it did not qualify for the worship of what they needed to do with it. Uh, and so, uh, and there was a king there that after, you know, the enemy king left and stripped everything and all went back. They said, oh, we haven't got any gold anymore. And, and one of the kings said, aha, we know what we're going to do. Uh, he started to bring in brass, polished it up and put it in the place where previously gold items were there. And, uh, and it sort of gave him a sense of, uh, it gave him a sense of, oh, You know, we got our gold back. No, it's not gold. It's only brass. And we make a a comparison between, say, if our worship in the spirit is gold, and our endeavor out of our soul to worship God, out of the natural, uh, or even in the flesh, no matter how much you shine that brass, it'll still only be brass. And the message was, get the brass out of the church. And only let the gold remain. And when you take some people's brass away, they get really upset. Because they got attached to their brass. But God is not interested in brass. God wants gold. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.